happens when we become prideful, when we're full of pride. Because when we're full of pride, that means there's no room left in us for the Holy Spirit. I remember one time when I was a lot smaller than I am now, I saw that my parents were a little stressed out, and I decided that I was going to help them. And my little brain thought up this great plan of how I was going to do that. I thought I'd be so nice and start the dishwasher so that all the dishes would be clean and mom and dad wouldn't have to worry about them at all. So I opened the dishwasher and I put in a scoop of soap and I closed it up and I pressed the start button. I went back to coloring or playing or whatever I was doing back then and I let the dishwasher do its thing. It wasn't until my dad came home later and started freaking out that I realized something was wrong. He walked in and he said, What happened to the kitchen? He had that sort of fatherly concern that expresses itself as pure frustration when a household appliance is not functioning properly. (laughs) And in comes mom, who's no less confused than dad is, right? And I realize that they realize, my, my apology, that Seth must have started the dishwasher all by himself. Now I was expecting, and oh, thank you, Sethy. You're so sweet. You know, because I was super proud of myself for being so helpful. And I certainly wasn't expecting to walk into a kitchen completely covered in bubbles. (laughs) Knee-deep suds. And as a kid, that was really cool, right? But mom and dad had a slightly different perspective on the situation. So in between scoops of suds into the sink, 
my mom asked me a question. She asked me, Seth, where'd you find the soap for these dishes? And looking up at her with this big, dumb smile, so proud of myself, I said, why the laundry room, of course. And I got one of those mom looks that's like a cross between pure shock and absolute fury. Like she didn't know whether to laugh or like put me in time out. But I thought I was so sweet for pitching in and helping out. I thought I was the best son ever. Looking back, I think it might have been my pride that was blinding me from the fact that I made a little mistake. And who am I kidding? It was not little. I mean, the whole kitchen was just covered. Pride is probably the sneakiest sin. It's easy for us to ignore because it's actually really easy for us to miss altogether. It's really good at disguising itself as service or kindness, and it never really seems as serious as it is. It's really easy to do something for someone else and expect to be praised for it because that feels good. And in that way, we get to disguise our pride as something completely different. One of the sneakiest things that pride can pretend to be is humility, which is kind of weird because pride can become its own opposite just like that. Maybe I accomplished something and you come up to me to compliment me for whatever I did. And maybe I respond in a way that feels like directing your compliment away from myself, but maybe that's my way of redirecting the attention back to myself. And now you can see how being prideful can easily become this spiral that I like to call the never-ending desire for attention. I'm sure you've met someone like this in your own life. Maybe it's been you. I know that I've had a few times in my life where I find myself caught up in this spiral. So we know that pride is quick to disguise itself, but there's another danger that comes with being prideful. The second of these dangers is that pride enjoys becoming other things as well. Pride is another one of those gateway sins like greed or envy. It doesn't take much for pride to become something else. Our pride can drive us to all kinds of other evils. So I like to think of pride as kind of the big bad deadly sin. Now, I know there's seven deadly sins, but of all those sins, I think pride is most connected to all the others. <clears throat> it can quickly become gluttony or wrath or envy or greed or sloth or even lust. And both of these dangers that come with being prideful direct us back to a central truth. That pride is sneaky, like a snake or maybe like a dragon. And if you know anything about Disney... You know, there's this kind of big, bad Disney villain who's typically leading all the others. Just like pride is the big, bad, deadly sin leading all the other sins. Take a look at this clip. Yikes. <laughs> <clears throat> Maleficent is as prideful as they come. I mean, think about it. She didn't get invited to this party, so she shows up and curses this baby girl. You know as one does. <laughs> she has a reputation to uphold, and not receiving an invitation really bruises her ego. She's definitely caught up in the pride spiral, and we can see that clear as day. If we take a deeper look at the whole thing, we realize that Maleficent's, Male ooh, Maleficent's pride does indeed turn into more than one of the other deadly sins. 
Even in just that short clip, we see wrath for sure, some greed, a little envy, gluttony. I would even argue that Maleficent is lusting for power, right? Sloth is a stretch. The only connection that I could make for sloth was that she didn't walk through the door like a normal person. (laughs) Which, if you ask me, does seem a little lazy, but that's a loose connection, so do with that what you will. In any case, Maleficent makes quite clear the idea that pride has a way of working closely with our other weaknesses. And the Proverbs have a lot to say about pride as well. Believe it or not, when I was looking for verses to use in this series, I originally only found like six on envy and at least 13 on pride, and that was just on flipping through the Proverbs. So Proverbs 25, 6 through 7 says, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence. Do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. So basically, Maleficent never opened her Bible because this verse literally says not to do exactly what she just did. She demands an audience with King Stephen, who didn't send her an invitation. That's her first mistake. And that one's the obvious one, but did you notice in the clip that, Mal- that Maleficent doesn't actually place her curse right away? Meriwether says, we don't want you here, and suddenly she realizes that people aren't responding in the way that she thought they would. Now, probably she would have placed the curse anyway, but I think maybe she showed up looking to make a statement and really decided to curse the princess after she realized that she was being humiliated by the king and queen. As soon as she realized that they hadn't invited her on purpose and that the king was making a fool out of her in front of the entire kingdom, her rage kind of spewed out. And it's kind of the same for us. When our motivations are corrupted by pride, they don't really count for as much as they would otherwise. If I hold the door for you, but you realize that I only did it because I expected you to pay me, it wouldn't hold as much sentiment, would it? Side note, don't be friends with someone who expects you to pay them every time they hold the door for you. That doesn't sound like fun. We don't get to demand that God recognize our importance. That's not our job. We don't get to demand an audience with the king. Our job is to draw the attention to him, not to ourselves. And when we do what we're supposed to do, we're granted an audience with the king. And here's the truth. When we draw attention to ourselves, we get the attention that we want. Seriously. God's going to let us have that attention. And what happens then? Well, if you take a look at any news headline or BuzzFeed article, you'll see All these well-known names who seem to mess up so much more than your average person. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because they got the attention they wanted, and now everyone's watching them that much closer. And so they get canceled or mocked or judged or ridiculed because they're directing the attention to themselves and not to God. Don't be like that. Glorify God in all you do. Give him the credit, and doing that, doesn't require us to run away from compliments or redirect every single one back to God. I was just at a week of creative arts camp in Missouri, and something my band leader said that really stuck with me was that thanking someone for saying something nice about you is glorifying to God. 
As long as we understand that he was the one who made it possible for us to receive the compliment. Next, Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. When we praise ourselves, who are we missing out on? God. We're spending time focused on ourselves and not on him. But lifting other people up is a great way to glorify God. When we compliment someone else, we're complimenting one of God's many masterpieces. On the other hand, lifting ourselves up also paves the path to loneliness. I don't know about you, but I feel way better when someone else says something nice about me than when I say something nice about myself. If we're focused on lifting ourselves up, we miss out on the good people that God places around us. And that can be such an isolating road to take. God doesn't want us cut off from everyone else. He wants us together as one. So lift each other up in love. And remember that to say something nice about someone else is to say something nice about one of God's children. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-four says, The proud and arrogant person, mocker, is his name, behaves with insolent fury. Remember how I said that pride is a gateway sin? The Bible does too. When we give in to pride, we can become jealous of others. We start to wonder what might happen if they try to ruin our reputation or if they end up better off than us. And like Steve said a couple weeks ago, envy is also a gateway sin. So when pride becomes envy, Envy becomes wrath. And now instead of dealing with just one sin, we're dealing with three. If you've ever found yourself falling into the pride spiral, then I'm sure you know just how easy it is to become jealous of someone else. We want to preserve our own reputation. And we can't do that if someone else has something that we want. Because all the attention is going to them. And I don't know about you, but I've never met anyone who gets happy when they're jealous because that would be weird. <laughs> Maybe that's a thing, but certainly not for me. Of course we're going to say or do something that we wouldn't otherwise. Pride blinds us to the seriousness of our sins. When we elevate ourselves above others, the things that we do don't seem as bad as the things that they do. Because pride becomes just one big comparison that never leads to anything good. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Let me tell you a little secret. Pride is never going to lead to resolution. The more prideful we become, the more prideful we can become. There's no limit. It might start as a small feeling in response to something we do or accomplish, but if we let it consume us, it's not going to stop. It just gets bigger and more difficult to get rid of the more you feed it. Another thing that stuck with me from my week of camp was this idea that was mentioned every night during our night session that's, that was one of the greatest gifts God has given us is each other. And I think that's applicable in this sense as well. The people around us are way more likely to notice our pride than we are. They've also probably dealt with it themselves. Maybe they're dealing with it themselves. And depending on where they are in their walk of life, it might be a really good idea to listen to what they have to say about it. 
They might have some insight that could open your eyes to the truth. Or maybe they have a tool that they could share with you to help you in your battle with pride. Those who take advice are wise. And my advice to you is to take the advice of those around you. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Listen, I hate spoiler alerts. I really, really do. They will ruin my day, so I understand. But this movie has been out for 64 years. <laughs> so don't come up to me after service complaining that I spoiled it for you. If you somehow haven't seen it yet, that's not my fault. That, that one's on you. At the end of the movie, Maleficent dies. I know. <laughs> I know. She gets really angry, and then she turns herself into this big, scary dragon, and she starts breathing fire everywhere and totally just stomping through the castle. And then Prince Philip rides up on his horse and throws his sword at her, and it hits her right in the heart, and she dies. And that is a super lame death. <laughs> You're going to tell me that you just turned into this giant dragon and you've been stomping through the castle and some dude just like tosses his sword and it hits you and you die man so lame anyway look at what the bible has to say about that we can look at this proverb and we're like yeah who could have seen that coming let me tell you something pride will only ever lead to destruction being prideful will always leave you wanting more. You won't be happy, you won't feel loved, and you won't know where to go next with your life because there's nowhere to go except farther down the pride spiral, unless you turn to Jesus. Jesus gives us this tool that we get to use to avoid becoming prideful. It's an awesome little thing called humility. And if you're wondering what that is or what that looks like, the Bible tells us right in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of, our, of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus is the prime example for us when it comes to any aspect of life. And that's no less true when we deal with pride. 
Jesus was never prideful. From the moment he was born to the moment he died, he humbled himself before God. As a baby, he was born in a stable, which is probably the worst place imaginable for a baby to be born. He lived his life teaching the word of God and using the gifts that he was given to save others both physically and spiritually. Jesus was always humble. He, never, he was never arrogant or proud right up to the moment he died. Even during his trial before the most respected and fearsome but corrupt leaders in the world, he never said anything to elevate his own status above theirs. He knew that he was the son of God, yet when Pilate asked him if he was king of the Jews, he said, that's what you say. He could have just as easily said, yeah, I am. He could have snapped his fingers and stopped it all. He had the power to do that. But instead, he humbled himself. He chose to become like any mortal man and die an undeserved death on an unnecessary cross in front of a crowd of unbelievers who mocked and cursed his final breaths. And in doing so, we've been called to remember the example of humility that Jesus set for us. I want you to understand that Jesus could have, but he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. He could have ended anyone who ever dared question his authority, but he didn't. He could have spent his time here showing off his powers and drawing more and more attention to himself, but he didn't. He could have snapped his fingers and gone up to be with the Lord without ever having to suffer on the cross, but he didn't. In the same way, when you go back to work this week and you have the opportunity to show off something you accomplished to get back at the guy who beat you to the punch last time, don't, because you shouldn't. When you go home this week and you're tempted to sit back and let your spouse or your kids do all the work because you feel like it's your turn to take a break, don't. Because you shouldn't. Jesus could have, but he didn't. We can, but we shouldn't, so don't. One of the ways we remember Jesus' humility is by taking communion. We remember his body beaten and broken instead of ours, and we remember his blood poured out to cover the price of our sin. So I'm going to say a prayer. And then the servers are going to come around with the trays. And as they do that, I want you to thank God for sending his son Jesus to show us what humility looks like. Thank him that Jesus was so humble to pay for all of our sins on the cross. That he took our place to save us. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and the humility that Jesus showed while he was here on earth. The humility that he showed through his birth, through his death. We thank you for your sacrifice and for sending him to pay for our sins. And we pray that you would help us to reflect on that now as we take communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. I'm glad that you got to join us here at Northwest today. And I hope that you all have a great week this week. I know that my friends and I are extremely excited to be going to CIY Move. And we would appreciate your prayers as we travel. And while we're there, worshiping and learning about the Lord. 
If you haven't already, I would encourage you to take one of the name tags from the table in the back. It doesn't matter whose name is on it, and I would ask that you would take the time this week to pray over whoever's name you picked. This event is one of my favorite things I get to do all year, and I know that's the case for many of us in the youth group. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called Shadows, where you'll hear a number of messages based off of N.T. Wright's book, Broken Signposts, where we'll be highlighting the same core attributes that he does in the book, and then diving a little deeper into what each of those really means. After service, if you need someone to pray with you, stop by the overflow, and there will be a couple of, other, a couple of our elders who would be more than happy to do just that. If you'll stand, let's close today with another moment of worship. Just want to sit.